welcome all of you that are joining us wherever you're watching us from tonight around the globe and those of you that get this podcast all of you guys that are here uh, in the building we're thankful for your presence here as well we started job last week we got through verse one <laughs> so it may take us 14 years to get through this book uh, we did a lot of background work. You can go back, and that's the beauty of of, uh, of the technology we have now. And kind of, you know, some of you heard that story when we had our celebration time of moving into this new sanctuary. But uh, it's really amazing how God just kind of thrust us into that. A vision and a dream, and then bam, sent the money from outside the church, and here we are. So, uh, and so we're now in uh, 50, uh, I think it was 53 countries, 54 countries, and 48 states. So give the Lord praise for that. Amen. And we welcome all you from Canada, California, New York, everywhere in between, and around the globe, and Africa, and Europe, and the Middle East, all you guys, Australia, wherever you're listening from, we welcome you, and we appreciate you, because... You know, I, I work hard at what I do. And here, what, let me finish this before you fall out. <laughs> for the Lord, not for you. But we all benefit from all of us doing our job under the Lord. Every one of us. So you do what you do unto the Lord. And I'm not crazy. You could go to church anywhere you want to. And those of you that are listening and watching us from around the world... You all could watch or do anything you want to with your time. So we appreciate it and we respect that. And I'm going to do my best to keep feeding you God's Word and to be relevant with the Holy Spirit as we come into this, in and out of these service times. So let's pray and let's give God thanks and uh, see what He has for us tonight. Lord, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your servant Job. And what a wonderful example He is to all of us. I thank You that he cried out, as we saw last week, that his words would be pinned down or etched into a rock. I'm thankful they were. Because all of us are strengthened by watching what happened and reading what happened with a man who did not walk out on you or did not turn from you facing great trials. And how you used him and how you strengthened him and stayed with him and how you captivated the enemy he could only go so far because you're in charge the devil has to ask permission and that gives all of us great comfort lord we're thankful that you allowed all this to be in the scriptures for our benefit in jesus name amen so again i i'm honored that you guys let me speak into your lives and over you and uh with the word of god so job was from us uh and josephus tells us that the oldest inhabited city in the world is still is Damascus. And Josephus, the, the historian that was around when Jesus was here, uh, he tells us that us, that, that group of people, were, were responsible for that. Job came from probably this, the east side of the Jordan River. He was here before Moses and all that. He's most likely a contemporary with Abraham and all that stuff. So a lot of that stuff we went over last week, if you want to catch up on the background. So let's go back to chapter 1. Let's just start with verse 1 again, since we didn't get very far. So there was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless 
and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. I touched on that word shunned in the old King James. It's askewed. And that word askew, you want to pay attention to this. Or shunned, we translate it here in the New King James with shunned evil. The word askewed in the Hebrew means to turn aside out of the way. Get out of the way. Get out of that path. And it also means turned from in the past tense. Now, doesn't mean Job was perfect. He was a fantastic guy. We read about that last week how God said these three guys had such high standing, Daniel and Job and Noah. But he said even if they were around, it wouldn't keep Israel from being disciplined or judged. But this word, basically, what Job did is he turned his back on that life. The life that was anti-God. And if you remember, I took you into Hebrews a couple of weeks ago and reminded you of that in the last week, how it said, Paul's talking about those people in, uh, coming out of Exodus. He said, if they'd have had a mind to return, they could have went back. In other words, that Greek phrase there means if they'd have kept it as an option. Right? That's what Job did not do. Going back to evil or to sin was not an option for him. He moved on. Now, Paul said something similar to that in the New Testament. He said, I've, he said, the world is no longer any good for me, and I'm no longer any good for them. In other words, we're not compatible. They, they don't want me around, and I don't want to... We're going two different directions. So that's basically what Job did. He turned his back against evil and, uh, and walked away from it. It doesn't mean he didn't still live in the flesh and do things... Uh, I'm sure he failed from time to time, but that was no longer an option to live in that life, that lifestyle. Then he says, and seven he uh, feared God and shunned evil, and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were seven thousand sheep. Can you imagine having to keep up with all this? Three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, five hundred female donkeys. And a very large household so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. This is the Elon Musk of the East. <laughs> he was the wealthiest guy around. You're going to find out he's blessed of God. His sons would go and feast in their houses and each one uh, uh, appointed... Each one appointed uh, on his appointed day would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Now how many men do you know that would run a corporation this size would be that intentional about his children? Very few. You know what the biggest problem I heard growing up in ministry and, and got talked to, and uh, I've been doing this for 30-some years now, the biggest thing for preachers was how they neglected their children. One of the biggest downfalls of preachers because they're so busy doing stuff for everybody else. Now, I don't mean this. This is not everybody's lot in life, but I've never had a hobby and that's why, because I didn't, and now I may get one now, because all of my children are grown. 
but I didn't want anything to interfere. When I took trips, if I could take my family with me, when I went to Chicago to meet with Israel people, which I do regularly, I would take my family with me. And I would have meetings and they could enjoy Chicago. That's getting harder to do now because Chicago's... When I first started going to Chicago, they said, don't go below 26th Street because they can spot a foreigner a mile away. That's what they told me. And a foreigner is somebody who don't belong in that neighborhood. They can tell by how you drive, how you're looking around when you drive, all that stuff. And then uh, the last time I went to Chicago, they said, don't go below 55th Street. So that's how far the trouble has come in in Chicago. Of course, we know the problem in our country is that we keep turning away from God. We just keep turning away from God. I'll tell you a little story. I've taken all of my family. Sometimes I took my wife, my daughter, just whoever could go. I would take on my trips. And one time, uh, if you don't know Chicago, you don't know that there's upper and lower streets with the same name. And I'm sure it's maybe that way in other cities too, but Chicago has upper whacker, lower whacker. Well, your GPS don't necessarily know that. And so I, with me, my wife, and I was told early on, they said, if you feel like you're in danger, run red lights, whatever you have to do, do not stick around in the back, just explain it to the police after you get where they pull you up, whatever. So, I, this was for, this was years ago before I figured out upper and lower whacker. Well, I got caught on lower whacker and my GPS kept saying, you're here. Well, I wasn't there because I was underground in Chicago. And by the third circle, here they come. Out from underneath the bridges and the underpasses. They knew I was lost. And I ran two or three red lights. And just got out of town. So uh, you all didn't need to know that. But there you go. You know it now. <laughs> so Job sanctified his children. How many people do you know would be that intentional? He says, and he would rise early in the morning. Offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. He rose early in the morning to make sure his household was instead with God. That's a word to all of us. That ought to come before water in our garden or anything. We ought to be making sure we're lined up with God. That ought to be the first thing on our agenda. Watchman Nee talks about, and you all hear me reference him, and you can go look him up. Be careful reading his books because they'll bring you to your knees. (laughs) Uh, But he talks about how too many Christians give God their worst time. They don't give God their best moments. They wait till the end of the day where they're wore out and they really can't pay attention and be attentive to the Lord. And so, they, so he just challenges us to give God some of our good alert time. He says, For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. So he was interceding. That's what we call interceding. That somebody goes and prays on behalf of others and intercedes on their behalf. Now, there was a day uh, when the sons of God came before themselves, uh, before the Lord and Satan also come among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? From where do you come? Now, we're getting ready to touch this again, but I want to take you back to verse 1. It says, he was upright and feared God. 
I'm going to use that uh, phrase again here in just a minute. Hang on to that word fear in just a minute. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So there must have been some kind of stuff going on that we don't have the whole backdrop to, that there is none like him on all the earth. So Job is the standout guy at this time on the earth, a blameless upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So what was said in verse 1 is restated here about Job by God. Now, in the flesh, we might look at that and say, well, we hope we're not this high on God's list to where He points us out to Satan, right? But then on another hand, we think, what a privilege to be that high on God's list. And then he says, he says, he fears God. And again, I want you to listen to the definition. The fear is, I think, when you look at fear in the Old and New Testament, some ministries, teachings water it down too much. And some make it too aggressive to where people don't see God as a father. And then some people have distorted views of a father because they grew up in a situation where their father was horrible. So a lot of stuff plays into the fact of this fear of God. But if you go into the New Testament, sometimes the word phobos is used. And this word phobos is the Greek word that we get phobia from. So you have folks in the New Testament, especially New Testament era, that water down the fear of God so much that it's like, it's just being quiet when you go to church, <laughs> you know. And, and they water down the word reverence. So there's got to be a healthy balance there somewhere. And I had a good father. So I, I feared my father's punishment if I got outside of his jurisdiction. But I wasn't afraid to go sit on his lap and ask him for stuff. Sometimes he'd tell me no. But over the years, my dad worked for the railroad, and so he, he had to pack more than just uh, lunch because the railroaders, sometimes they didn't have hours, set hours. So he would, sometimes he'd get home at 4 o'clock, sometimes he'd get home at midnight. And so, he, so he, he started doing this on purpose. He would buy an extra Snickers bar or oatmeal cake and leave it in there on purpose. And I, I grew to appreciate that. But sometimes my brother and I had to take turns. I didn't always like that. Uh, and if my brother forgot about it, I was pretty glad about that. But it was my day one day, and I, I questioned my brother in front of my dad. I said, it's my turn to get what was in the lunch. And he, I said, did you leave something in there? He said, yeah. And I said, I asked my brother, I said, well, did you get what was in there? He said, no, I didn't get that Snickers bar. I didn't know there was a Snickers bar in there. But if you had a bad father, right? I didn't have a perfect father. I'm not a perfect father. I, I have asked my children to forgive me at times in my life because you've got to catch that reaction in the flesh, right? We can all react in the flesh. But if you had a horrible father, or maybe you didn't even have a father, then you could see how things can get distorted. But this, I come across something this week I'd never seen because I hadn't studied the Hebrew word 
as extensively as I had the, new, the Greek words in the New Testament. This was interesting to me. And I think you'll get some comfort out of this when you think about how to have a posture toward God when we talk about the fear of God. It means reverence. That's a shallow definition. Uh, just like we would say with grace, a lot of people have a shallow definition. They call it unmerited favor. Well, that's part of it. But, but grace is better defined by the action. Grace is you stealing from somebody who feeds you and then going back the next day and they still feed you. That's grace. And this word fear actually comes from here. It's a word that springs from the recognition of our own weakness. That's where it comes from. It don't come from, oh, I'm afraid to talk to God. It don't come from, oh, I better not stick chewing gum under the seat of the church. You shouldn't be doing that, by the way. <laughs> But it comes from, I know who I am, and I'll stay in my place. That's where it comes from. That's what it means to fear God, is to know who you are, and know who He is, and stay in your place. That's what it means to fear God. I love that. And that gave me some fresh revelation as well. Now, so He, he says, he, God points Job out, right? Now, Job's... We don't see any evidence that he's privy to all this going on, right? He he's, comes into this later. It's most likely God did Job like he did Moses. He gave him a lot of information after the fact like he did with Job. Now, as I said last week, Job's the oldest book in the Bible. Quite possibly the oldest book in the world. There's some argument about that. But since I've been finding out that, that it's most likely the Semitic people, the Hebrews that had the first alphabet, not the people they give credit to now, and they're starting to find that out. Because it makes sense that God, who created everything, would know how to spell, right? And so the people he interacted with, Job, would have had greater access to all this stuff. And so God created languages, right? He actually came down and confounded the languages at the Tower of Babel. So he points him out. Job's probably, he's not privy to all this at the time. Uh, and so then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered him? And verse 9 says, so Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? Now, let this stuff sink down into your ears so you can know how much God's in control. You and I don't get our comfort from the fact that everything always goes our way because it don't. We get our comfort of knowing who's in charge. So my daughter, when she was three, she had a fear. She had a phobia of uh, phobos of dogs. And so we're out in the front yard playing. And this big dog comes running after her. Not aggressive. He's aggressive, but he's playful. And I knew he wasn't a mean dog. And so she, she's scared. She's running, trying to get to me before the dog gets to her. She makes it, and she jumps, and I scoop her up in my arms, and the dog slides into my leg and starts jumping up and pawing, and her tears turn to smiling and laughter. Why? 
because she's in my arms. The circumstance didn't change. The dog's still right there. What changed? Her being in my arms. The dog didn't disappear or go away. She was in my arms. That's what you got to understand. No matter when you don't understand, you can't see, you're still in the arms of God. The dog may still be roaming around out there. The devil. But you are in the care of God. You're at no more risk in the middle of a trial than you are when you're not in a trial. As long as you're following the Lord and not doing your own thing, you're not at risk. And so that's the beauty of what we're seeing here. God is orchestrating all this. He, he's, or excuse me, he's allowing all this, but He's setting the guidelines. And you'll see that clearly. So I answered and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Does Job stay in his lane, understand his position for nothing? He says, you've made a hedge about him around his whole household and around all that he has on every side. So that's what we, what's the Bible say? Angels encamp around those who fear the Lord, and finish that, to deliver them. Now, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us we're not going to have trouble. In fact, there's things in there that tell us just the opposite. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. So you're not, none of, we have an adversary, so we're going we're to get opposition, right? But we know who's in charge. And this book, above all books, or as good as any book, I would say, lets us know that probably above all books on a personal level. We, we just got through Revelation, so we, we see who's in charge. We know. We watch, we've seen a bunch of prophecies already come to pass that God spoke, so we know who's in charge. We know that as believers. But in a personal sense, this book does that. And it's very comforting to me. This book is the main book that challenges us about feeling sorry for ourselves. Feeling sorry for yourself is a trap of the enemy. You remember when those guys got persecuted in the New Testament, they came back rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer persecution. Some of my prayers have changed lately because I've been thanking God that He would even include me in His plan. I don't want to be haughty about that or high-minded because we've seen God can use a big fish. He can use donkeys. He can use ravens. He can raise up stones, to uh, rocks to Abraham, children off the rocks. So it's a privilege. God's not privileged because you and I showed up. We're privileged that He would offer us an invitation. I said that like a good country boy, didn't I? An invitation. He, he gave us an invitation. And what's mind-blowing about that is God needs nothing outside of Himself to exist. You know, I've, showed you this, I've shown you this a lot, that God exists internally, right? He needs nothing outside of Himself. That can't be said about any other being. Even Satan was created. Dependent. We're dependent Certainly on God's eternal life to live forever. But we're dependent on His ecosystem just to draw another breath. We're depend God, God exists, let me say it this way. God exists internally. That can't be said about any other being. And so what's amazing is that He would desire a relationship with you and I. 
But he does. And so he says, You've blessed his work of his hands. The possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. The devil or some of his demons have probably had some conversations about you and I like this. Now, we don't know how high we are on the list. But I'll guarantee you, there's demons that sit around and talk about all of us. Maybe not every day. Maybe occasionally. Maybe they say, hey, Rob's reading his Bible a lot. Let's see if we can get over there and distract him. Because the more he reads his Bible, the more faith he's going to have in our enemy. See, God's their enemy. And so whatever demons are talking about, and I, I believe demons were miserable when Paul walked the earth. Whoever was assigned to Paul, I believe probably stayed on Valiums. Whatever demon was assigned to Paul, or however many of them, can, I can just see when Paul went to sleep, I can see the demons gathered around the table saying, I, the, the one that was assigned to Paul, I can just see him saying, somebody trade with me. I'm miserable. I'll, I'll take 20 people off your hands if you'll take Paul. I can't stand it anymore. I've had him snake bit. I've had him shipwrecked. I've had him stoned. I've had him put in prison over and over and over. And he just keeps coming. Wouldn't that be good for, for the devil to have to talk about us that way? I've made him sick. I've turned her friends against her. I've buffeted them, their health. I've caused them to lose their job. I've done everything. And they still get up and talk to their Savior every single morning. Makes me sick. That's, that's what we, wanna, we, we want the devil. As I've told you before, we want to be known as the group of people here in Basilea and then living water and the wet. We want to be the people that if the angels go back and say, God, we can't get somebody to do that. We want to be the people that God says, take it down there to those people that live in water. They'll do whatever we ask them to do. I, I, we want to be known as the people that drive demons crazy because there, there is a place, right? Paul said, or James said, submit yourself to God. That's where it starts. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How about a life where the devil's trying to get away from you instead of you trying to get away from him? Now, that's the kind of life that God offers us. How about that? So, God, the devil's challenging all this, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God. So God's not doing the action here. He's just dropped the hedge. Alright? Like, but He gave him limitations. You see that? Let's us know who's in charge. He says, Behold all that He has in your power, only do not lay a hand on His person. He can't take Him. Satan went out in the presence of the Lord. He went out from there. So, something else I want to point out to you. The devil's having to give account of himself. He's having to show up. Get permission. Right? If you went through a trial, maybe they had to get permission. Now, we're not talking about when you and I open the door for the devil and invite him in for coffee and donuts. If you invite him in for coffee and donuts, guess what? 
He's breaking the coffee pot before he leaves. That's why you got to be careful. And that's one thing for you and I to drop the hedge. Are you with me? It's another thing for God to do it. So if you're given access to the enemy, then you're going to have some consequences you may not like or I may not like. So don't you be dropping the hedge. That's God's job. You just stay the course. Seek the kingdom first. All this other stuff will be added unto you. Let God make those decisions, right? And if you realize you've dropped the head somewhere, hey, get that, go repent, get that thing built back up. Breaches in the wall, I think is how Ezekiel talks about it. Now, there was a day when the sons and daughters were, when, when his sons, speaking of Job's, sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That's how the devil attacks. Destroyed everybody, but left one person alive to go rub it in. While he was still speaking, same day, while he was still speaking, another also came in and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants. So not only is he losing all of his businesses, he's losing his employees and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came in and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, you imagine sitting in a chair and hearing all this? Let's say whatever your possessions are, business, no business, just whatever you have, one neighbor after another or an employee after another coming in and saying this to you. While he was still speaking, another came in and said, your sons and daughters, this is the big one, were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Can you imagine having that much trouble in one day? Where you wake up and the only thing you have is a wife and maybe your place of residence and that's it. And what? Four employees. Now it took more than four employees to handle just the 700 sheep, not to mention everything else. He's got four guys that have escaped. He's got his wife and she's not happy. We're going to find that out here in just a minute. <laughs> then Job arose, tore, uh, tore his robe, shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. fell to the ground and worshiped. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. I feel like the Holy Spirit just quickened this to me. I'm sorry. 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 12. I use this passage some in funerals because 
of what David says here at the end of this chapter. But let's go to verse... Um, let's go to verse 15. Nathaniel's just, or Nathan's just come by and confronted David about his sin. And David takes it. And then we read Psalm 51 is David's response to his sin. Where he talks about confession and about asking the Lord not to take away His Holy Spirit from him. Because he felt the weight of all that. Everything I've read about that says that that psalm was a secret psalm until after David had gone on. That that was his moment, his intimate time where he confessed and repented before God. After Nathan, and, and, and we know David loved Nathan because his son, he named one of his sons after the prophet. And if you go to the genealogy in Matthew and Luke, Luke, Matthew takes you back to Abraham, Luke takes you back to Adam. It runs Jesus all the way back to Adam. Uh, Matthew runs Jesus back to Abraham because those two Gospels are doing two different things from the facet of Jesus. But if you go back to Luke, that lineage is through Mary. The lineage in Matthew is through Abraham. Excuse me, through Joseph. Now Joseph was not his earthly father. Or he was his stepfather, we should say. The Bible says Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? Joseph was going to put her away. She should have been stoned by the law. But Joseph was trying to figure all this out. Then he has a dream, right? And God corrects him, says, that, take her as your wife. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So she carries Jesus. The Bible says he didn't know her until after Jesus was born. That meant he wasn't intimate with her until after Jesus was born. Then they had other children. We know that Jesus had brothers and sisters. But the reason the lineage is run through Mary is because that's his bloodline. Joseph was not the bloodline. Both of them were of the tribe of Judah, but Joseph was not the bloodline. He was just the steward after the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. So when you run the lineage back, you'll go back to Luke and it'll say the son of Heli, which is Mary's line. So anybody in their culture, if I married into the Jewish culture, then out of respect, I would call my wife's father, father as well. And she would do the same. Because there's, and there's no grand parents in the Hebrew. They were, you just go up the line. The grandfather, he was father. The great-grandfather was father. Are you following me? The reason I'm telling you this is because Nathan is the line in which the blood come through. Uh, Solomon's line got cut off. Remember that? God cut his line off because of what Rehoboam and Jeroboam did, and they come down that line. And so God, but here's how faithful God is. He told David, man, I'm about to feel this all over me. He said, you'll never be without a man on the throne. And when he sent his only son, Jesus is on that throne forever. 
And he come through the line of David, even though Solomon's line was cut off, Nathan's line just kept coming, kept coming, and kept coming. Because God's going to keep His Word, and He's going to keep His promises. And that bloodline had to come through Mary anyway, because the Father had to be the Holy Spirit. So the bloodline had to come through the mother. And you know that the baby uses the mother's blood while it's in the womb anyhow, right? And through that unbuilt... Is anybody feeling this besides me? That's how big your God is. Everything the devil tried to do to stop his son from showing up, he could not stop it. And for that, we should give him praise. Amen. So now, it says, The child of Uriah's wife that uh, was uh, born to David, it became ill. In verse 16 of 2 Samuel 12, it says, David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went laying all night on the ground. So he's kind of having an experience like Job. This book is old, way older than David. Job is. So I'll, I'll guarantee you David gleaned from the stories and the things that Job went through. He says, So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. But he would not, nor would he eat food. So he's fasting. He's, he's kind of having the same response as Job. Although not the same level of trouble, but trouble, right? Here's what I've learned in 30-some years. You, you may deal with people that have some trouble that's not anywhere close to what you've been through. Maybe. But here's what you got. And I've had to, I, I reckon that's their trouble. It means just as much to them as your trouble does. Okay? So don't belittle somebody's trouble. Because that's their trouble. And they may not be near as far along as you have. So your battles may be way bigger than theirs, quote unquote, whatever that means. But that person's trouble is just as real to them as your trouble is. Remember that when you're ministering to people. Because David's not going through nothing like Job did. But this is real trouble for David. He's just been confronted by the prophet. Now this child's getting ready to die. He's seeing all the results of this. And so his servants uh, says, then on the seventh day it came to pass. He wouldn't eat or anything. It says, and the child died and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. So basically his servants are standing around thinking, look how he's acted before that. Said, if we tell him that the child's dead, he's going to go off the deep end. Watch what happens. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived, that the, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. And David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. So he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Same response as Job. Wow. Now this is, this is beautiful. You see the impact of God's Word. You see people trusting in God even in their worst hour. You know what Abraham called when he was getting ready to sacrifice Isaac? You know what he called it? He told him, he told the servants to stay at the bottom of the mountain, said, me and my son are going to go yonder. He was a good country boy too. Said, we're going to go yonder and worship. He called it worship. We're going to ship God worth. Remember this? We get the word worship from a contraction in our language from worth-ship. So when we worship, that's why 
sitting under God's word is called worship. Tithing and bringing offerings, that's all, called, that's all worship. Why? Because when we worship, we ship God worth. Why do we ship God worth? Because we place value on Him. Why are you here on a Wednesday night? You place value on God. You place value on His Word. You know you, know you need it, right? You, you, and, and as Christians, we grow and learn. We place the highest value on God. It's higher than anything else in our life. Because we know that you can't love father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife, child, or anything more than Him and be His disciple. So the reason we worship or ship God's worth is because we place the highest value on God. There's nothing else in our life that is higher than that. So we ship Him worth. We worship Him, right? And that's a testimony. When people drive by this building and say, what are those people doing over there on Wednesday night? You're here loving God. You're here to hear His Word, to honor His Word, because you place value on Him. Why did Job start his day off with God even though he was a multimillionaire? Because he placed value on God. He knew where all of his blessings came from. We, should, we all got to remember that. So he, he picks up on it, right? He perceived the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. David rose and went and anointed himself, changed his garments and went and worshipped. Then he went to his own house and he requested they set food before him. And he ate. This his servant said to him, What is that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. They said, you're doing just... They thought he was going to go down to the local do drop in. Was that, was that what it's called on the Waltons? I just had a Waltons flashback. The do drop in, was that what it was called? <laughs> Where Jason went down to play the piano and they went, they went to the devil's den. And he, see, I'm, that's, that's bad. Then uh, he said, you resonate food. They thought he was going to go off the deep end and do whatever. And he said, listen to his response. This is why I use this at funerals sometimes. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? He knew how good God was. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. Uh-oh. He had a revelation of eternal life, didn't he? He said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. That's why David and Abraham, some of these guys are mentioned so much and looked so high upon the New Testament because they, they had a New Testament revelation in the Old Testament. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. The Bible called Abraham his friend. These are guys who knew what God was after. That's why David was able to eat the showbread and not get in trouble when he went in the temple. Because he knew God was after a personal relationship. What a revelation. I don't care if you're in a lion's den. I don't care if you're staring at the Red Sea. I don't care if they've thrown you in a pit like they did Jeremiah. I don't care if you're in the prison cell. Like, I don't care if you've been snake bit. If you've been shipwrecked. It doesn't matter. You, if you're walking with God, you'll always have consolation. David said, if I make my bed in hell, thou art with me. If I'm in the depths of the sea, you'll be there with me. There's nowhere I can go to get away from your presence. Hallelujah. And we, we should be comforted by guys like this who did not. They had access to the Holy Spirit, but he hadn't come in his fullness. Like in the book of Acts. And these guys were still holding on. 
They didn't even have the Bible like we have. Shame on us for getting ready to quit every other week. I'm not talking to you necessarily, but I'll just throw that out there for whoever, whoever needs to eat on it. Shame on us for being ready to walk out on God when these guys didn't even have the Bible in front of them. They didn't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit the way He came in the book of Acts. And yet, we got people just getting mad at God every other day in our world. But this can't be. So now, let me take you back to Job here. David had a similar experience, nothing to that degree, but we know, I feel sure that David had learned from the stories and the writings of Job. And so here he is, he's in the house, everything's gone, his family's gone, he's, he's gone to, he's tore his robe, he's in sackcloth, he's, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Now you, all of us are human. If you're acting like you're not human, quit it. We're all human. You and I don't have to give in, but we're all going to be tempted. The devil, he wants you to turn on God. He wants us to get upset with God. He wants us to get angry with God. He wants us to challenge God's authority and His, His sovereignty. He wants us to get crossways with God. That's, that's why He would love that. But the Bible says Job wasn't willing to do that. Now I want to talk to you about this phrase. It says, In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. I did some digging on this too, again, a little deeper. Uh, you're, if you got old King James, it said he didn't charge God foolishly. He didn't do it in an accusatory way, all right? This one says he didn't charge God with wrong. And the Hebrew says this. I thought this was interesting. He did not cast reproach on God. He did not reproach God. And then I read, I got some information about this word reproach. It is to express disapproval, criticism, or disappointment. So this Hebrew is the better understanding of what he's happened here. It's, he did not have an expression of blame or disapproval. He just stayed focused. He did not express disapproval, criticism, or disappointment. That'd be hard to do, wouldn't it? Those are some of the lessons God was trying to teach my family about a year and a half, two years ago. It wasn't easy. And I don't say, I'm not standing in front of you saying that I've even mastered all that. But he scooted us down the road a little bit. But I still, I'm still in the flesh. But Job, so I'm probably not at the top of the list like Job. <laughs> but Job did not express any disapproval, criticism, or disappointment. That last one, that's the one I wrestled with. Now let, let me say something to you. I've known this for a lot of years, and I, I, 
I'm, I'm settled. I know who's in charge. I don't have any problems with that. I know who's in charge. I don't question that. I know it. That's why when I have an issue, I go to God. Because He's got the hand of the King in His hand, the Bible says, to turn it however He wishes. So I don't have any qualms with who's in charge. I know that. But this disappointment part of this Hebrew phrase, man, that was a battle. And I, every now and then I feel it try to hit me again. You've got to rebuke that thing. But God, I'm going to say this before I close. We'll get into chapter 2. See where Job's wife got upset because the Macy's card didn't work when she went. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's okay, and you'll see some of this in here. We're going to talk about suffering as we go through here, the values of it. That's the hardest place not to get crossways, right? God allows us to go through things because we're being tried like gold, Peter said. And I, I'm going to be the bearer of bad news. Look at your neighbor and say, he's getting ready to tell us something bad. When you go to Malachi, I believe it's Malachi, Malachi, the Italian prophet. When you go there, he talks about the goldsmith. Heats the gold up so the impurities will come to the top. Takes the ladle, gets all the impurities off, and then the goldsmith can see his own reflection in the gold. Right? That's what God wants. He wants to see his... The world don't need to see you and me. They need to see Jesus in us. But here's the bad news. When they take that gold to get more impurities out of it, they have to heat it up hotter the next time. Now here's... here's a, you know who the biggest problem is that you and I have? Besides Satan, and maybe more than Satan at times, is the people, person we brush their teeth. God already knows everything about us, but it hurts when we see something, right? He reveals it to us through these trials. So here, here's, I'm going to leave you this. It's okay to ask God questions if you're looking for understanding. He's big enough. If you want some understanding, ask. He may not always give it to you, right? If your 12-year-old come in and said, I... I want a uh, hundred dollars. You may hand them ten instead of a hundred, right? Sometimes that's how God does us, right? So, but do not. And this is back to Job. Do not ask God questions in a way that accuses Him. Leave that alone. Stay out of that. Take a lesson from Job. None of us probably will ever go through what Job went through in our whole life, let alone in a 24-hour period. So make sure, make sure that you're, you can ask God for understanding. He's big enough to give us understanding. He's not threatened when we try to seek. The Bible says for us to seek for understanding. Knock on the door, see if they'll open. God don't always do what we say or even answer us all the time. Or sometimes it's a delayed answer. He's okay with us seeking. He wants us to seek. But do not get in a spot 
that Job refused to and just be like Job here. Be like Job. And when you get to feeling down, come back here. And remember what old Job went through. So you and I could be encouraged and strengthened. Amen. I'll tell you this, a little boy sent uh, he sent a letter to Santa Claus and said, I need ten dollars. So the postman didn't know what to do with it, so he just sent it to the president. This is an old joke, so it could be any president. And he said, uh, got it back, he got the envelope back, and it was $5 in it. He was a little bit disappointed because he wanted 10 You can tell how old the joke is. $10 ain't going to buy much anymore. <laughs> but I'm old too, right? So he rolled back and he said, I see you sent me my $10, but it had to go through Washington, D.C., and they had to get their cut in it. <laughs> Ah, so that's true, isn't it? Taxes, taxes, taxes. Listen, uh, the Lord loves you, man, and He's on your side. Now, He's not going to exempt us from trouble. But He said He'd never leave us, nor forsake us, but He'd be with us to the end. Can we give Him praise for that? Amen. Lord, we thank You for this time we've had together in Your Word. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit. We thank You for all You're doing in our lives. We thank You for this vbs here and uh, we pray for it to minister to our children and if there's any that come through here lost that will minister to them and they'll find you we pray also lord that will help disciples our our other ones uh, that are already saved we pray for that and we pray for you to watch over it and bless it Amen.